Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. chapter 21. This is, the title is A Balanced View. This is the third out of three sermons. So this is the last sermon where I wrap everything up. And again, Jesus is teaching his followers. Jesus knows intuitively, spiritually, the timetable of his crucifixion. He knows it's coming up very quickly. Uh, He's God the Son. It's an amazing thing, what he knows, what he thinks of how he prepares us as his followers. You know, they're, they're going to see, they're going to hear about him being nailed to this cross, horrific form of capital punishment by the Romans. But he's encouraging them. He's telling them, this isn't the end. I'm going to, three days, rise again. He ascends into heaven 40 days after that. And he talks about his return. He's like, I'm going to come back. You know, John 14, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I, I go to my father's house. Uh, there's many mansions. I'm preparing a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. This is all throughout the scripture. Now, when I came from religion to really a Bible teaching church, a lot of the stuff was foreign to me. And I was, I was like, wow. Uh, I mean, I was in my mid-20s. Some people come to faith in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, and it's joyous. But we, but we kind of like have this attitude that we have to make up for lost time, right? We have to learn Jesus' teachings. I never read this stuff before. They never read this in the church that I went to. So it's really exciting. It's such an eye-opener. And i got to be honest with you, when I read Revelation as a teenager in my early 20s, I was terrified. <laughs> I'm like, this is not good. It's not going to be good for me. you know. But when you become a believer in Christ and you put your trust in, your, in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you realize this is a good thing. And we're going to talk about the two different ways to look at Christ, Right? Um, so we're gonna, there's a lot to get to, a lot to unpack. We're going to look at this in four parts. Knowledge is power, as the expression goes. And, you know, we're going to really start to understand the Lord's teachings and his plan for our future. So one out of four is the recap. I'm not going to go into great detail because we covered a whole sermon, but I just need to give a little bit of, you know, where we were, foundation. He addresses his followers. I would use the word... I like the word. It's diachronistically, which means he talks to his followers. Remember, he's God, God the Son. So he's not only talking to his followers 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, he's talking to us. Right? He's talking to people that will come after us, anyone throughout the millennia that has put their faith in Christ. He's speaking to them. And that's why sometimes when we go through some of these uh, prophetic scriptures, initially it can be a little confusing because you, you have to parse who he, which group he's talking to in which group of verses, right? Because we're all his children, and he doesn't play favorites. So he gets everything in, in uh, prophecy 100% right. Of course, he's deity. Nobody else could do that. But it's interesting, and I, it was so funny. I was walking my dog yesterday, and a young man from the neighborhood, I keep seeing him walk and ride his bike, and 
nice kid. I got to know him, and a total stranger. I just started talking to him, and you know, I started talking about some of the stuff that we're covering in the message. And he was fascinated. We're going to talk about a lot of science, history channel things. We're going to cover a lot of things today, so um, don't worry. I, won't, I shouldn't keep you here more than 40, 45 minutes. But basically, uh, what especially Revelation said, and Daniel, and Isaiah, all these prophetic scriptures, really... Uh, people for thousands of years said, how is this even possible? The naysayers. But probably in the last 20, 30 years, technology has caught up with the technological prophecies in the Scripture, which is fascinating. So we can see that uh, with the advent of artificial intelligence, um, the ability to clone hybrid humans, all the crazy things that the WEF is talking about in Davos and wants to make it happen because they are the billionaire class and they will make it happen, the Bible already predicted these things. There's actually, uh, we were at the men's retreat, and Pastor Vinny, leave it to him, he showed a short video of AI Jesus. I know. And people like, oh, that spoke to me. You're talking to a computer. He, he's a guy with long dark hair and a beard and a mustache, and, you know, and he's not real. Right? It's a computer-generated thing, and it's programmed that when you ask AI Jesus something, he gives you an answer. I just want to encourage you and affirm you in the hand motions. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Man, if you think this guy's good, wait till you start learning about the real Jesus. So um, it's kind of sad because we're allowing computers to do the job intellectually, right? It's good if you make machines that kind of make your life easier, that we should be doing. And it's there's a, there's a whole discussion in Congress now. The tech giants are saying, you guys need to pass some laws because this could get out of hand. These are the tech giants saying this. So it's pretty wild stuff, right? You read Revelation, you're like, oh, now I see how that could happen. All right, jumping in. I love this stuff. Verse 29, uh, continuing. Remember, this is a continuous thought. This is a conversation that Jesus is having. For the sake of time, we broke it up into three parts. So there's a little a digression, so to speak, a little um, uh, soliloquy here. It says, Then he, Jesus, spoke to them, his followers, a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. This is pretty wild stuff. So two out of four is the parable of the fig tree. Now, there are two camps. Right? I always cover a little bit of theology. Bible teachers um, agree on most of the, certainly soteriology, how to get saved through Christ. That's an easy one. But some of the uh, things, extraneous, um, supportive, some Bible teachers disagree on. Now, there's two camps here, but... Actually, when I look at the, the both camps, there's convergence on what they believe, and I'll go through it quickly. So basically, the one camp says, well, the fig tree, symbolically, in the Old Testament, is indicative of Israel. So this is in the Old Testament, the New Testament, keep your eye on Israel and the things that are happening overseas, which, which, is, which is true. Others say no, because Jesus said, and the other trees, so we're not going to make this Israel-centric. Right? But either way, what is Jesus saying? Remember, in America, most people, children to adult age, have some form of education. 
Jesus used a, lot, used a lot of metaphors and parables because that was something that even the uneducated could completely understand. So he's basically saying, if you take this to its base level, look at the trees. When you see the buds, you know that there's a season change. Very simple. Uh, you could have no education and totally understand that. And he also says, all the things I just spoke about, um, these cataclysmic events and such, you know, certain events in time, when you see these things, you know that the kingdom of, of heaven is near. We talked about uh, sort of, you know, where we're slowly moving in that direction, but, you know, we don't set dates. We're, we're not in the middle of the tribulation or anything right now. But hum- humanity has to move in this direction because of what sin did to the world, right? It's, it's just a natural progression. And we'll talk more about even how the educators are starting to see the things in the Bible are true, but they're dismissing it because it's really a pride issue, right? And I, I can tell you that probably the biggest hurdle in, me, in my mid-20s to coming to Christ was I wanted to run my own life. And I had heard things about submitting to the Lord and what is His will for your life. And i got to tell you, my own free will, my will was a big hindrance. But obviously I'm here. <laughs> then I said to myself, I should have done this sooner. What a dummy I was, you know? <laughs> you know all the things that you think about, right? God's going to make you do. Um, he's gentle and He's loving. So continuing on, if we look at this uh, fig tree analogy... We can reconcile both views. If the fig tree is indicative of Israel and the other trees are indicative of the other nations, well, Revelation 16, uh, you know, uh, Ezekiel 38, 39, they all speak about the alignment of these nations, right? Saber rattling, you know, who's lining up with who, um, you know, the Western powers, the Eastern powers. So you're starting to see these things come to fruition. But again. There's the other trees, and then there's the fig tree, which is Israel. What is Israel doing? What's going on in Israel? We talked about the temple being rebuilt. We talked about the plans, heavy heavy plans, the furniture in the temple being duplicated, templeinstitute.org. So there's definitely a push for somehow to get the temple to be rebuilt on the area where the Dome of the Rock is, maybe through a gate or some sort of separation, uh, and I believe that eventually we'll, we'll see it. Revelation tells us that as well. Uh, so verse 32, let me just read it again. Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all things take place. So ostensibly, the generation that sees uh, what Jesus has been discussing in Luke 21 and the Revelation judgments uh, in this future seven-year tribulation period that both the Old and the New Testament speak about, we'll see the Lord's return, right? Less ostensibly, when you look at the, the, and I'm kind of really hitting this heavy here, is the fig tree as Israel, um, the other camp says, well, the generation that sees Israel become a nation, being the fig tree. Israel became a nation in 1948. Israel took uh, biblical Jerusalem in 1967. And it was almost two, two millennia since Israel retook the land that it had many years ago. Actually, I was born in 1967. That happened a few months before my birth. So could our generation see these things? They could. Certainly we'll see the runner-up to these events. Again, the false teachers predict dates. We've seen that, and they've always been wrong. What Jesus is telling us, right, when we look at the Scripture is pay attention to the seasons metaphorically, but don't think about the dates and the times, right? Jesus says pay attention, pay attention, don't forget about me, but 
the, the date setters are always going to be wrong because Jesus said no one will know the day and the hour. So, interesting stuff here. Verse 33, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will, will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So if I could paraphrase that, anything Jesus tells us in the Scripture, along with established Scripture, you can take that to the bank, spiritually, because it's going to happen, right? Um, so my, my wife was... <laughs> you know, we're starting to see this. It's becoming mainstream. History Channel, Discovery Channel. They're starting to say things that the Bible has said all along that people scoffed at, especially in Genesis, and, but they have to put a little twist on it. You know, they can't give glory to God, they can't submit to God, because this is the secular world, so they, it's always aliens. It's always somebody from another planet came and did all these things, but there is some convergence there too when it comes to the, the fallen angels in Genesis 6 and the hybridized race, so to speak, before the flood took place. But it's interesting because I'm, you know, I'm busy. My wife's watching the History Channel. She's glued to it. And I'm starting to hear what they're saying. I'm saying, okay, i got to see what's going on. I can't believe this is the History Channel, right? Very secular uh, organization. And they're, they're actually showing uh, archaeology, artifacts, uh, subterranean uh, civilizations, right? Steps, temples, walls. There's a city underwater. There's one in the Indian Ocean. There's one in other oceans, right? So the guy, the archaeologist, says, well, we know thousands of years ago that the sea level was a lot lower than it is now. Duh. <laughs> Read Genesis 1 through 6, you know what I'm saying? Um, and they're just going through, and the steps, and not a, a normal human with the leg span, it would be impossible for them to traverse these steps, and there were some giants on the earth. Genesis 6. So all of these things, the uh, scientific world is starting to say, yeah, there's some credence to this. I mean, I could go on. It was fascinating. Now, I got glued to the television, you know, and she said, why don't they just get, admit that this is in the Bible? And I'm like, because it's a spiritual battle. They can't admit it, you know. So interesting things. A um, lot of civilizations, uh, metal alloys that they found, that they say there's no way this civilization could have known these things. We see this in Genesis, right? We see this in the scripture. How did this happen? They had help. No kidding. So, that's the History Channel. <laughs> and let me look at this from another angle. As Jesus is saying, heaven and earth will pass away. Why? Why is it going to pass away? I like this, the weather, and you know, because this is a. If you again, if you if you like AI Jesus, you're going to love the real Jesus, and you're not even going to think of AI Jesus. It's silly. But if you love the planet now, when the Lord remakes everything, you're really going to love the planet. No hurricanes, no earthquakes, no volcanoes, no, none of that stuff exists anymore. So, but again, it's the, it's the finite mind of the human uh, psyche that looks at these things and says, I'm comfortable with this. The Lord talks about, I covered this in Revelation, the new heaven, the new earth, where these things are not, there's no problems, right? There's no hunger, there's no cancer, there's none of these things. Uh, so that's a really, really exciting thing to look at. Um, pretty neat stuff here. But basically, he's also saying, right, when you look at what he says, and I'm not just using this scripture, I'm using a lot of different scriptures that, I, you know, that we bring together, both Old and the New Testament, basically that God's word is more reliable than the physical and tangible universe. And again, think about that. You know, when I studied biology in Rutgers, Still got my bio book, 
that's way out of date. <laughs> There's a lot of revisions since finding more discoveries, but we, you know, I'm not to really dehumanize <laughs> the human race, but when you look at the periodic table and you look at the various elements, that's us. And you know what? In Genesis, it says that God took the dirt from the ground, all the elements from the periodic table. He fashioned a man, and he breathed life into him. Because when we, when we perish, if we're out in the middle of the woods and we go down, and the bugs and you know, the larvae and all that just have their way with us, we go back and we get, become part of the ecosystem again. What separates us from the ecosystem is that God, in Genesis, said he took the elements, fashioned a person, and breathed life into that person. And thus continues the cycle of life. Pretty wild, right? You look at the earth, right? Adam, the, the Hebrew word, and again, we even see this with uh, agrarian culture, how we're losing the nutrients and, and the over-farming, but way back in the day, if you ate a carrot, you get a lot more beta-carotene than you get today. God put all those nutrients in the soil. It's pretty wild. Everything goes back to the Scripture. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, so, what do we do now with Jesus' words? How important are His words? His, his words are more important than the tangible universe. His words are more important than these physical bodies because these eventually perish. Our focus needs to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, he, and the Lord Jesus uses so many different ways and teaching uh, methods to get us to understand how important it is to worship God. Amen? So he can just hit it from all these different angles, and I just love it. Verse 34, he says, now we're going back to, right? So the, there was a little aside, a little soliloquy with the fig tree and some symbolism and basically the importance of what he's saying and to hold it in our hearts, keep it there, make sure that that's prioritized over everything else in life. In verse 34, he says, we're going back to sort of the, the second coming issue, which he had talked about before. But he said, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare or a trap on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Distractions. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape. The word's very important. We're going to come back to that. Escape all these things. How is that possible? It's happening to the whole planet. And we're going to talk about that. That will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and stayed on the mountain called Olivet. Then early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus was... He must have had some set of vocal cords because he was always teaching. <laughs> a lot of things that Jesus did. He walked a lot, he taught a lot, and you could see he took naps, which is awesome because I love naps. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he needed to refresh that, you know, you know what I'm saying. It's, it's good stuff. So, three out of four is warning to pay attention. Verse 34. Be careful of getting distracted in this life where we allow our hearts to be weighed down. The Greek word, when you take this word and you translate it into the Koine Greek, is means to be burdened or to be overcharged. 
You know, if you're a new believer or you're trying to learn about God and you ever find that, you know, in your heart, especially on a Sunday morning, you're like psyched. Yeah, you know, I want to I want to learn more of the Bible. I want to go to that new believers class. I want to, you know, I want to just keep understanding more about my God who made me. And then things in life distract us. It happens. It really does. Um, even me putting a message together. There's so many landmines. You know, my car had to go get fixed, and you know, all these things happen. And uh, you know, it's like, oh, I got to focus. I got to sit down. I got to put this message together. Life gets in the way, you know. And we enjoy our lives, but there's a lot of distractions that come with life. So let's look at some of these. There was a warning to the future generation that when these cataclysmic events happen, that they really need to pay attention. Don't be the frog in the pot of boiling water who started, it just was warm and comfortable, and the heat just was raised little by little. Don't be that frog. Pay attention when you see these things taking place. So, let's look at this. Verse 34, carousing and drunkenness. I'm going to leave the cares of life for afterwards. This is an easy one. This is what the world does to blow off steam after it deals with the stresses of life, right? And some of it's dysfunctional. Some of it causes the, the thing that you use to blow off steam now can get you into trouble, especially if it's substance abuse, where people, they don't know where the line is, right? So this is what the world does. I've got to be honest with you, I go to a lot of events, I do weddings, I do a lot of things, and you know, I've gone to meetings and secular meetings and I just know when the alcohol starts to flow, I have a window of time to talk to people before they're not listening to me anymore. You know what I'm saying? Um, again, I love to talk to people. I love to try to get them closer to God. And listen, I'm not judging anybody at all. It's just that I, I did that years ago and I don't need that drama anymore in my life. Plus, I deal with a lot of people in the addictions community, and I don't want to stumble them, so I just don't engage in it. Again, but I don't judge anybody. I'm just telling you that carousing and drunkenness, it's the, the mind-numbing behavior to not think about the stresses of life. And let me tell you something. You look at the polls in American culture, I don't care if you're on the right or on the left, young, old, there's a lot of stress in this country. Some of you are already thinking, I'm sorry to remind you what you got to do tomorrow. I got a project due tomorrow after church, you know. Sorry, I apologize in advance, but this is the American culture, and it's very different from other cultures. So preachers in, in every different culture have to address the culture that the church is planted in. So this is what happens. Uh, I'll tell you something, a funny story is that Sunday evening, my wife and I went to an outdoor concert, an innocuous 80s band. Remember the 80s? I'm dating myself. And I'm like, how bad could it be? You know what I'm saying? So we're out there and we're outside and we got close to the stage. It was funny because there's about maybe 10 or so years older than us and they're still playing guitar. And it's, it's kind of cool to watch, right? Some of them had to be replaced because they got too old to do it uh, still. But it was, I'm like, you know what? Good for them. And then everything was going great, and I said to my wife, oh, I could smell it. She goes, what? I said, people are breaking out the marijuana. I said, i got to get out of here, you know what I'm saying? So all we need is a video of Pastor Joe who gets a contact high and is doing stupid stuff, you know? So I'm like, I, 
we, we got to go. And, you know, so we watched it from outside. Where it was a, I'm looking around. I'm like, who's, who's got the weed? You know, my years of law enforcement, I know what it smells like. I'm like, I just don't need this drama. So, but this is the world, you know. This is how the world relaxes. When we mature in Christ, what we do is we, we give our trials, we give our burdens to the Lord. You know, we, 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 we get close to Him. We get close to, you know, His, his bosom and his, his heart and, you know, really just kind of lay out the things that are going on in our lives. And the Lord hears. And the Lord will answer our prayers, right? So, you know, and again, it was a learning curve for me. I come from the world, and I handled everything dysfunctionally, pretty much everything. And then I come to uh, Christianity, and I'm learning all over again. That's why the term being born again is a great term, because you're almost a baby again. You're learning to walk, you're learning to talk in a spiritual way. And you, you have to figure these things out, and you've got to be close to the Lord, and you know, get good friends who know the Lord as well. So uh, a lot of neat stuff. So let me save the last one, right? So he talked about the uh, carousing and the drunkenness, and also he spoke about the cares of this life. You know where else we find that phrase? The cares of this life? The parable of the soils. Remember when Jesus talked about the Word of God as the seed, another parable? It falls on different soil, and the soil, the different soils are a picture of the different human hearts. Is the word going to grow, or is it going to be choked out? Now, we know that there were four different types of soils that Jesus spoke about, four different types of heart, but the last, actually the third soil, the last one was the good soil. The third soil was the, that a person hears the word of God, they're excited, and the fruit of God's word starts to grow, and then the thorns and the weeds and everything starts to choke out the fruitfulness of what grew, and they walk away. But it's the same phrase as this. So these are things that are innocuous, harmless, right? Things that, you know, are not sinful. But it's, it's a fine line to take the things we enjoy, even leisure and pleasure in a good way, and make them, put them in front of God. They become prioritized above God. We have to be careful with that stuff. So Jesus is, is amazing because a lot of church people could say, oh, yeah, I don't do that other stuff. Yeah, but what about the cares of this life? Are we putting it in front of our Lord? Are we making it a God? It's a question that everyone has to, to ask themselves, right? Um, and and that's, that's pretty much it. You know, there's a lot of people in the church that are just on this constant, you know, this constant journey of pleasure-seeking, 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 right? Is that becoming a God? You know, where Rome is burning. Look at the United States. All the polls are bad. The culture, you know, the, the wage rate, uh, inflation, uh, interest rates. I mean, it's just bad news. I feel bad for young people. Um, so the, the thing to do to blow off steam is to do things that are leisurely, but are those things getting ahead of our relationship with God? And everyone has to answer that question for themselves. Verse 35, he says that it will come as a snare. So the things of God, right? The kingdom is coming, we know that. Even in, on the night of communion, Jesus spoke about the kingdom, right? But he said that 
these things, when the Lord's kingdom comes, when the Lord returns, it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. What is a snare? I love going back into the Greek and Hebrew. A snare is a trap. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for snare was used in trapping small game. There was a certain way that the Greco-Romans would set out their traps for food or for whatever, and they would, it would trap the small game. There would be bait, and then the trap comes down. So that word is used in what Jesus is saying here. Now I'm going to say that Satan probably doesn't spend a lot of time convincing people that God doesn't exist, right? Even when I was at Rutgers for four years and studying all the sciences, and I did not have a relationship with the Lord, I knew that God existed. I knew that, that there was so much complexity to the not only human body, but the human mind. Even the best psychiatrists and psychologists still argue about how the mind completely works. It's a fantastic piece of machinery. Um, you know, it's wild stuff. So people know that there is a God if they really think about it. But a lot of people don't want to submit to God. They want to be the God of their own life. So I think Satan's best uh, tools in his toolbox is to get people to think, you have time, go have fun, go live it up, live the American dream. Satan says different things in Russia and China and Europe, but here he tells Americans, because we're all about our rights and the American dream, and sometimes people, listen, I'm patriotic, I serve my country faithfully for 25 years, but God's ways have to supersede any particular culture. But Americans love to hang their hat on, on this American dream, and it almost gets put above the things of God. So again, the world is burning, Rome is burning, and Satan has the evil genius of convincing people to stay on the sidelines, to stay distracted. The Apostle Paul said, run the race to win, right? The Greco-Roman world at the time, the Olympics and the long-distance runners. Paul would use a lot of... Pa uh, Pastor Paul. Pastor Paul's not that old. Uh, the Apostle Paul... <laughs> every once in a while it slips. The Apostle Paul, okay use certain analogies, could come back, uh, use certain analogies to help us to understand like the people back then. Life is like running a race. Life and staying focused on the things of God is like staying on the track, staying in your lane, continue to move. But there's a lot of people that have gotten off the track and they're just kind of sitting on the side watching the racers go round and round. Or if uh, the, the life of a believer is like a spiritual battle, you know, there's the forces of evil that are trying to do things. They're trying to work with this person and keep them blinded. You're trying to teach this person that there is a God. And behind the scenes is this battle. And there's many church people who are, you know, while the battle is going on, they're just kind of sitting on the sidelines, taking their shoes and boots off. So, Pastor Joe, you know, you're coming down a little hard. Listen, everybody knows this. And Jesus is just saying to beware of these things, Right? So let's talk about the believers in the future. When this time happens, is that the people are going to be conditioned to see what's going on in the world and ignore it. And don't we get numb to it? How many times do we have to open up uh, our news on the internet or turn on TV? Crime rate, people being victimized, elderly people being beat up for no reason, you stuff con confusion in the public schools with the, with the kids and parents against teachers. And there's so much stuff going on in this country. 
And what can we do, right, to keep our minds sane? Sometimes we just, we're desensitized, we tune it out. Again, it's going to increase, and the world in the future, when these cataclysms take place, they, Jesus is trying to warn them to realize it's leading up to something you have to be paying attention. So, four out of four is, I put escape in quotes, escape the theology, question mark. Um, for those of you that understand what the harpazo or the rapture is in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, you know it's a solid teaching. You know that 2,000 years ago the Apostle Paul spoke about this event with Christ and, and his followers. It's a articulable, it's an obvious event. And in 2,000 years it hasn't happened. But it will happen, right? And there's things in Isaiah, there's things in uh, Old Testament Scripture, Zechariah, that haven't happened yet. But it's such a monumental thing that we know it is going to happen. Otherwise, God doesn't put something out there and say, oh, I made a mistake, because he can't make mistakes. So we know that a lot of prophecies took place in the 20th century, 21st century. Um, they will continue to take place. So there are some who attack the doctrine of the rapture or the harpazo and call it escape theology. I'm going to address that. Okay, let's go to Matthew's Gospel real quick, because... In Matthew, it's the same discussion, but Matthew records mostly the same information, but he adds some things that are important to his readers that Luke didn't add. So if we go to Matthew 24, 36 through 44, I'm not going to go into the whole thing because we covered this in the study of Matthew, but I just want to touch on some things. He says, but of the day and hour, how many times does the Lord have to say this? And people still set dates for the end of the world, right? Or Jesus' return. Stop doing it. But it just makes Christianity look weird. But of the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, in other words, day-to-day -day life, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And there were warnings. There was a lot of warnings given. And they did not know until the flood came. Even Noah didn't know. But God, when it was time to go, he prepared him. Okay, you got everything set. We're going. Today's the day. It's go time. Uh, came and took them away. Also will the coming of the Son of Man be. I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, but... This is an interesting thing, because when you look at the flood of Noah, you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, and again, I already talked to you about the History Channel, there's the Discovery Channel, there's a lot of Science Channel, there's Archaeological Channels. I love re looking at them and smirking, because they're just reinforcing what the Scripture says, even if they don't give God credit to it. It's the same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah, right? We know where that place is. It's still there today. It's still charred remains. There's still heavy mineral deposits in that area and the archaeologists go through and say well there were cities here well, no kidding <laughs> the bible told us that thousands of years ago so what jesus is saying is whether it was noah or sodom and gomorrah there was an escape now could they escape on their own of course not god had to provide the way of escape so a few things we were doing the question and answer on wednesday and you know i'm trying to explain some things and uh and I just had these colored index cards. And I, I like to use a lot of different methods as well on how to explain certain events. So 
these are the index cards. Bear with me for a second. Okay, all right, one more. This is the best I could do, okay? This is Daniel. Daniel, the prophet, Old Testament. Daniel said, well, it wasn't Daniel, it was Gabriel who gave Daniel the message. God gave it to Gabriel to give to Daniel. So Daniel reiterated it. He told Daniel to put out this prophecy, and he said there would be an articulable time in history under Artaxerxes Longimanus, look it up, under the Persian Empire, B.C. period. He had a, a famous decree when the Jews were in Babylon to send them back to uh, you know, Jerusalem in a good way, give them an escort, materials, finances, who does that? But if you read your history books, strangely enough, historians can't explain why Artaxerxes Longimanus Persian ruler took favor on the Jewish people. He sent them back. So Daniel said, when that articulable event takes place, there will be 483 years until Mashiach, or the Messiah, comes. Right? 483 years. And he said, there'll be another seven-year period. So we'll cover that in a second. Did you wonder why the fishermen dropped their nets? Did you wonder why Matthew left his tax collecting booth? Oh, because it's a fairy tale, right? No. It's because they grew up Jewish understanding Jewish culture and history, and they knew that Artaxerxes Longimanus' decree was coming to fruition, which it did in 32 AD, April 6, 32 AD, if you do the calculations. So Mashiach shows up, Christ shows up. However, there were two comings, right? One is the lamb, the other one is the lion. Fast forward, there's a gap in history, because the seven-year period would have ended in 46. 39, fun with mathematics on a Sunday morning. Um, obviously, that second coming didn't happen yet, so this one, kind of put this on the side for now. So what Daniel says is, there's that last seven-year period that's going to take place, it's actually in our future, where, because when Daniel gives the prophecy, there's no such thing as Christians, they didn't exist yet. This has to do with the Jews in Israel. There'll be another articulable event in our future, seven-year period, Right, where the focus will be on Israel and the Jews again. What happens to the church? That's the rapture. He said, make sure you're counted worthy to escape these things. At some point the Lord comes, right? Like the Lord came in the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, and he will remove the people that fulfill the church age. The last seven years will take place and then a new kingdom gets established. Fun with index cards. Listen, it's... Yeah. But listen, it's just one of those things where i got to be honest with you. When I first was a Christian, the first few years, I had no idea what I was reading. I didn't know if I was coming or going. It took a long time to study archaeology and paleography and languages. And, and you don't have to do that. All you have to believe is that Jesus died for your sins. I'm a, I'm a teacher, so I have to know this stuff. But... Truth is, how are you counted worthy to escape? Well, number one, God provides the escape. First Corinthians 10.13, even when there's a temptation that comes along, the Bible says he'll provide an escape. Now, I know when I've ever given into temptation, I always knew, looking back, there was an escape. I just didn't take it. I didn't go out the escape hatch, right? So, but this one is a literal one, similar to the, you know, the cities on the plain and, and the flood of Noah, that he will allow the escape... Uh, based on the trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because why? That last seven-year period, God is part of the issue with the judgment and the revelation judgments. 
So those who were covered in, under the blood of Christ don't face that, right? So I'll just say this. If you don't know the Lord, John 3.16, it's very simple. You could forget everything that I said up to this point. If you're new or you're seeking, John 3.16. You don't have to, be an, you don't have to study to be saved. So I just want to put that on the side. This is just where we are in Scripture. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.17 says, this is important, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That wasn't the plan. And you'll hear that from some pulpits. It's just not true. God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. Amen? So the bottom line is, God loves you. Right? He loves me. He loves you. He doesn't love some more and some less. He loves everyone. He wants everyone to come to salvation. So yes, is it escape theology? You bet your bottom dollar it's an escape theology, but God provides the escape. Now, let me throw this in there. Two ways to look at God. And this is important because we are talking about some things that, again, when I wasn't a believer were very frightening to me. So I just want to make two analogies. They're my analogies. They're not great, but bear with me. So, um, there's different ways you can look at your Father in Heaven. Now, I had, listen, my parents weren't saved. There were issues with my growing up, and they didn't come to the Lord until much later in life. I forgave them for whatever. But the point is that my dad was not a perfect dad, and most dads are not. I'm not a perfect dad. So, let's look at this from, let's be objective here. A child could, a teenager, um, you ever hear, you know, you misbehave and your parent says, wait till your dad gets home, you're going to get it. I've heard that my stepdad, because he gave it to me at times. And, um, you know, you can, you can look at it that way. There's sort of a, at least a temporary adversarial condition based on a person's behavior. You can also look at your father or your stepfather, um, especially your heavenly father, where you could say, I haven't seen dad all day. I've been in school. I haven't seen him since last night. It's Friday night. I can't wait till my dad comes home because we're going to spend the weekend together. Right? Same person, same dad, different way to look at things. I'll leave you with one more. The guy who goes SEAL team, different SEAL teams, they go across, they fight terrorism. Hey, we love those guys. You know, they're outnumbered, outflanked, um, but they're warriors. They go in with their armor and their, you know, their weaponry and they fight terrorism. And if you're a terrorist and you're coming towards them, their hands, that person, that soldier's hand can be very deadly. However, when the soldier is flown home to his family and he takes off his armor and he cleans up and he um, puts on casual clothes and his kids wake up and see him and they run up to him, those same hands that took out terrorism will comfort a child. They'll hug them, they'll stroke them, right? There's some dads in the world that have to do rough things to protect society. But to those that are on the right side, the proper side, you get comfort, you get reassurance, you get encouragement. I've seen the toughest guys be the most gentle people when, they're not, when it's not game time. So, listen, I was a police officer. I would come home and take off my, my vest and my belt and everything and spend time with my family, right? So, let me make the, the jump here and think you know where I'm going. God the Father is going to mete out justice, period. It's just where it is in Scripture. Because we all look at the news and say, that person should get theirs. 
or the person that, I don't know, knew somebody or could spend millions of dollars on attorneys and they, they keep beating the rap. And we get frustrated. There's no justice in this world. There isn't. But they're not going to escape God, right? So he has to mete out judgment. But at the same time, and it's not a game. It's not we're trying to game the system on God. But if our hearts are truly repentant and we change our ways and we, you know, repent means to change. We change from our self-directed life and all the wicked dysfunction we're doing and we turn towards Christ and receive him as our Lord and Savior and there's true articulable change. Christ already paid the price for our sins. So whenever I teach on judgment, believe me, I'm not one of those guys that goes to Manhattan on a, a, on a milk crate and starts waving the Bible at people. I don't think that's the way to do it. You know, we want people to be one to God by love. And the way to escape the perils of this world, right, in many ways is to trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So I can't end this without saying that. So the question from me to you is, well, me, 25, 26 years old, I made that decision. And I should have done it sooner. So my question to you is, which way do you want to face the Lord in the end? Do you want Him to be your judge? Because I don't. Or do you want Him to be your Savior and your Comforter and your Father? I do. Which will you choose? You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.